we finally have a picture of Tim Cook in his in his office wearing Vision Pro. And Mayo, what do you think of this picture? He looks he looks happy. He looks like he's having a nice time in Vision OS life. Yeah, look, Tim Cook he could be having the best day of his life and he has a <laughs> a muted <laughs> expression, let's put it that way. But he looks good. Yeah, like th- there was a bit of a stigma obviously because you know, why haven't we seen a picture of an Apple executive wearing the thing ever since it's been announced since last June? And based on how he looks in this photo, I feel like they kind of set themselves up for no reason. Like, they could have done a profile yeah. of this last June, 23, and everyone would have been like, cool, all right, let's go let's go for it, you know? Like, the only thing I would say is the... And this is something that you'll see from the reviews in general that came out this week. The rendering of the eyes on the eyesight, like... It's not even the fact that there is obviously a screen, right? It's like the actual just rendering is like all the f- all the eyes are almost like slits more, like they're slightly too big, slightly too narrow. Like, like at first glance, I didn't even know that eyesight was like turned on in this picture of Tim Cook. Yeah, because he's in the mode where he's in an immersive environment, but he's breaking through. Yeah, so exactly. He's got like the the combination of the haze and his eyes. Um. So yeah, like I don't know if that's like a weird thing with the way the lenticular display just renders on the camera. If that is actually what it looks like, it's just because it's not like the the issue that I'm raising with it is not something that I feel like they couldn't have fixed in software over the last three years. You know, like they just yeah. make the eyes slightly smaller, <laughs> almost <laughs> and like less wide. Uh, I can't remember. You obviously saw someone with eyes on. Like, do you remember that from that? Or? I thought it looked okay, but. Yeah. I'm remembering now that the room was very, very bright. It was like a classic Apple store, like what bright white room. And that clearly helps because all of the reviews we've seen this week, you know, it's more natural lighting. And this picture of Tim Cook too, it it's like sunset at Apple Park. It's His office mm. is not very bright. Yeah, that was a big takeaway from the reviews. It's just dim, right? That yeah. outside screen is just not very bright and maybe not very high resolution. Like if you look at it, it's quite pixelated-y kind of. Um, but yeah, the main thing is it's just kind of like dark. So when it is rendering your eyes, especially on um, people with darker skin colors, it kind of just like... Yeah. Can't even tell it's on in some in some places when it's meant to be showing their eyes through it. So it's... Uh, it's just a weird situation. Like the... And and you see you see on like Joanna's photo, her eyes also kind of look weirdly like slit-like and maybe too big for where they should be. Like there's definitely something a cognitive distance cognitive distance about it but like i don't think it's so bad that they're just gonna drop it like that's the thing where i'm kind of sitting like it's kind of good <laughs> like it's kind of yeah. useful that and and there is some kind of humanizing element of it but obviously in this in the 1.0 form it's not good enough so what i think probably happen is there'll be a second gen vision pro the high you know the high priced three thousand dollar one and it will probably still have the eyesight display They'll just have like a next generation version, better rendering, mm-hmm. better display quality, and they'll give it another go. And then maybe if it still is weird after a few years, they'll finally drop it. But like, I don't think it's going to disappear overnight. Maybe if they do a cheaper model, you know, the, the whole rumor is they're going to switch to a two model strategy, right? Where you have the right. high end one and the cheaper one. And people are getting ahead of themselves. The cheaper one is not going to be cheap, right? It's still going to be like multiple thousands, probably 2,000, I'm, I'm anticipating. But maybe on that model, the external display is gone just for cost reasons, but they still try and push ahead with it on the pro model. And then in the long, if it, if it does work, they can eventually bring that to the cheap model too. 
Before we dive all the way into all of the Vision Pro reviews this week, I wanted to take a tour through Tim Cook's office in this Vanity Fair picture. <laughs> There's some interesting things going on. So the table, is that an Apple Store table? That looks exactly like an Apple Store table with the cutout for the cables. I mean, almost all the tables in Apple Park look like Apple Store tables. But it doesn't look very ergonomic to sit at for an extended period of time. But we should point out, so there's two desks, I guess, in the in the office. On the other side, he has like a stand, what appears to be a very fancy standing desk, where he has a studio display, a MacBook Pro, Magic Keyboard, Magic Trackpad, pretty standard stuff. I'm surprised he's not a Pro Display XDR user. <laughs> then He's a common man. He doesn't have 32 inches. That is true. And on the other table, he has his iPad Pro, which I think is probably what he uses most often. A random glass of water, a HomePod Mini, very precariously placed so you don't see the cable, obviously. Yeah, they got a car out in the middle of the table. iPhone 15 Pro or Pro Max. A pair of AirPods Pro, but the actual the AirPods, AirPods out. <laughs> outside of the case. Yeah. Then, <laughs> what else? Some, what is that? Like a Like a fake apple or something is it like a timer like a you know like the pomodoro timers are normally like tomatoes and that's what i think it looked because it kind of looks like it rotates at the top part yeah very odd yeah got his his laptop bag on the floor a bunch of artwork that's just on the floor up against the wall you would think somebody at apple could hang the hang those posters up for him (laughs) but i guess not uh anything else in here He's got one hanging up. He's got Kennedy, right? Yeah, the Think Different think different poster. Yeah. He's wearing an Apple Watch Ultra. This is about what I'd expect Tim Cook's office to look like. He's chilling. He's chilling. He's chilling in his immersive environment. So the Vision Pro reviews themselves. Mayo, you quickly pointed out to me when we were talking about this. The box. The box is very cool. The way the headset is like sat in the box when you open it up, that's pretty cool. Yeah, like it all comes with the solo knit band attached. So it just sits there and you can take the cover off and you can put it directly on. Like from an environmental standpoint, it does seem like the box is way bigger than it needs to be. It's huge. Uh, but at least for this version, it is pretty slick. The box that my that UPS shows is coming to my house tomorrow is like 12 pounds. <laughs> that's gigantic compared to like any other Apple box. Like that's more yeah, than, if, probably if I more was than importing, right? If I bought one and get it oh, delivered yeah. to here, like the cost of the import on that, it must be <laughs> $500, something ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not doing that. The, uh, yeah, the box is cool. It does kind of remind me of like, how much cooler the first gen apple watch packaging was oh yeah compared to what we have now where it's like i call it the mcdonald's box where you've just got like <laughs> the weird flappy cardboard and then you've got separate band and separate watch and you know it's not as not as cool as like the original apple watch it came with the bands attached right and you just like open the plastic hard plastic cover thing right and it will sit in there which is very analogous to the vision pro box wait five years once they've decided which band they're going with and you know maybe they don't need two light seals in the box and you don't need because it even comes with like a proper book like the yeah the instruction yeah. booklet is like full color like a huge little like pretty decent paper quality like book uh so you know they, they've splashed out but i can't imagine that packaging will remain like that state in five years time for instance there's no apple stickers though in all of that packaging not a single apple sticker that's their environmental play. Yeah, exactly. They're saving the plastic on, on the stickers. 
before the reviews came out too, Mayo, you made a you said we were prepping like our roundup host, and you said we could just pre-write the headline because <laughs> you had a theory on what the theme through all of the reviews would be, and it was you thought overpriced, great technology, and what are you supposed to use this for? Do you think the reviews kind of fell into? fit that headline pretty well i do think i was slightly unfair on the what you're supposed to use this for point like people were more optimistic about it than i imagined on Mm. using it for like actual work kind of situations you know like the the multiple window floating around you thing like joanna and others were like yeah we 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 did this for a few hours and conceivably we could see us doing again you know not just like a gimmick and i I, you know they uh, i was expecting people to say like we're going to watch movies on it and who knows what else we're going to do with the thing. Uh, and maybe in six months' time, that's all people do with it, right? But at least out of the gate for this version of the hardware, they were like, yeah, you can conceivably actually do stuff on it and in many ways be more productive than you would be using an iPad, <laughs> which yeah. is maybe an indictment on the iPad more than the, more than anything else. <laughs> but like, that's the situation. So overall, the, the reviews kind of came in and where I was expecting. There were a couple like surprises uh the big one that still like is in my head is the the verge has this video review and the text review and at the start of the video review they do like a simulated viewport of what neila is saying that you see when you're in the headset and like they put like you know because obviously all the apple videos all the screen captures from everyone are all 16 by 9 right mm-hmm. and what they do is they kind of superimpose a black border on it and to try and show field of view and the black border encroaches pretty significantly on the viewing area which was obviously like disappointing but what's weird is like the verge called that out specifically but everyone else kind of didn't and obviously i know you have obviously tried one on and i don't think you'd say that that's what it felt like to you no the representation that the verge like created is not at all how i remember it being in my time and like you said, none of the other reviews really took issue with the field of view. MKBHD had a v- clip of him playing ping pong wearing it that I thought was good for the overall field of view and also like the pass-through angle of it. And he seemed impressed with all of those aspects. But yeah, Nidalai had a problem. And you mentioned too, Mayo, that it could be like just a different head shape type thing. Possibly. Where the f- yeah. field of view could be could vary from person to person depending on their head shape how big their it head may is also be like if you're fastidious and like actually look with your eyes in the corners you're like oh there's actually quite a big border here you know yeah. and that's what they presented on the video whereas if you're just kind of using it looking forward you don't really see that stuff in your periphery so much i mean i wear glasses all the time right and you can't really see anything if you look outside of the rectangle of my lenses right but if i put a black border out around every part of the screen that wasn't the where my lenses are, which magnify so I can actually see. Like, it'd be a huge black black surround, right? But I think if you asked me to um, describe that to you, I wouldn't have such a big border. Right. So there might be, like, different interpretations of people. Maybe some people's head shapes get them closer to the lenses or not. Um, I do think it is a bit conspicuous that Apple doesn't give you a field of view spec mm-hmm. on the tech specs page. Like, they'll tell you it's 92% of DCI-P3 and they'll tell you how many pixels it is, but they don't actually give you a field of view number or an angle where most of the other headsets do and it does kind of sound like that the the field of view is basically comparable to the latest quests and stuff like in that 90 to 100 degree range because neilai specifically says it's certainly certainly smaller than the quest 3's 110 degrees 
Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, if it is less, that is kind of disappointing. Um, but none of them said that the display quality was bad. Like, obviously, it's no. cutting edge in that regard. You're still going to come up to the limits of, you know, the pass-through system. Like, the cameras are good, but you take it in lower light and you can definitely see, like, noise and grain on the screen. If you're moving your head around, like, your eyes are just such a good optical instrument, right? Like, cameras need to be... Even even movie cameras don't look don't work how your eyes work, right? And the the cameras sensors in the Vision Pro are big, but they're not huge. And so if you go into lower light, you can see grain. If you're moving your head around, you can obviously discern like motion blur that isn't there if you're just using your actual eyes. But right, they all say it's like the best pass through you can get today, which you'd obviously hope for given yeah. <laughs> the price point and everything. Um, one thing that was kind of weird is like. You can use the thing to take photos and videos. Mm-hmm. And there were some example shots. The camera takes square photos. So not particularly good. make an app. Not particularly um, good square photos either. Yeah, the quality of the square photos look pretty rough. Uh, so I don't... And you know, like before the... In the run-up to this, we're like saying, well, maybe if you take like spatial videos on the Vision Pro versus the phone, it will like look better. Kind of seems like it's about the same. So... I don't think there's yeah. like huge quality gains to get to get there. The 3D effect on the spatial videos taken with Vision Pro is better, but the yes. overall quality is the same. Is what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, slightly like not blurry, but you know what I mean, like like Grainy. there's like a like, grain to it. Yeah, and it's they. I think we said this before, but they kind of play into it, making it look kind of like a flashback almost. You know, like how in mm-hmm. movies the flashback looks a little different than the rest of the movie. Something kind of like that. Yeah, hundred percent. Which they also try and do for the personas, right? Because uh, the yes. personas are these like three D representations of you. Because obviously, it can't do a front facing camera because you're inside a headset. So they have to make up this like virtual camera with this depiction of you, and they go for like heavy like vignette blurring, as if you're doing like a portrait from like the nineteen thirties kind of design. Because they're trying to go for a stylistic thing, but also the number of like the fidelity of the scan and the fidelity of the 3D rendering is clearly heavily focused on like the facial features and then the rest of the body is much lower priority. Yeah. And so they put a massive blur on everything else. And only like your like eyes and nose and a bit of your mouth is like in super sharp focus and everything else starts to blur. Um, the personas, it's, it, they're kind of good and bad at the same time. Like it's, it, they're better than I expected and also, like, not good enough, right? Like, it varies especially so them, much from person to person. Yeah, yeah, like, the they look better in motion, for sure. Like, yeah. you see, like, the Brian Tong demo video. He does a call with um, MKBHD and iJustine. And, like, the Brian Tong um, persona, it's pretty it looks good. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It, and he, his, like, expressions and his movement's pretty good. If you look at the hair, it's pretty clear they take, like, one photo of the hair and then just, like, kind of smudge it across a head shape because he has, like, a stripe of white, like, that zigzags in his head. And on the, on the Vision Pro Persona, it's just, like, a blur of white. And you can see on other people's, too, that, like, the hair is clearly just kind of very roughly approximated. But, like, the eyes and the nose and the mouth movements and, like, you can, like, squint and, like, move around... That part is pretty impressive. When they stop moving and you just kind of get a second to actually look, like it's clearly, you know, low detail, kind of weird. Like humans are so good at 
looking at photos and nothing is yeah. human or not. And these are definitely still more in the character the, the category of like models. But they're not they're not embarrassing. They're not like it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to judge. Obviously Apple's saying it's in beta, right? But it's pretty good. I, I like you can joke yeah. about it because you can also take easily take screenshots from moments where it completely breaks down it looks bad or at one point in the brian tong demo video he like turns around and his like neck breaks in the persona because <laughs> of the like angle and stuff like i think it looks better on at least based on the reviews that we saw this week the men get do better off than women i think mostly because like the hair is completely static so on like the i justine thing she obviously has like longer hair and she's moving around, but like the hair literally doesn't move at all in response to that. So you lose a lot of the immersion. And also just the rendering of the hair is less good. Whereas if you're just like a man, you know, typically a man just has like really shortcut hair. Yeah. You kind of get away with it more in, in the Persona 1.0 situation we're in right now. And I don't expect like it's in beta, right? But you're never gonna get a significantly better persona rendering without also better hardware, right? So yeah, they can make software improvements, but like you're looking many years down the road of both software and hardware evolution to get something significantly forward, if that makes sense. Some people have predicted that the Persona will be like the the digital touch from the Apple Watch, like the Vision Pro's version of that, and that Apple just remove the Persona feature. I don't buy into that in the slightest, because what, what, what's the alternative? You have Memoji, which I think should probably be an option, at least for right now, or you just have nothing. Persona is a solution to a problem that needs to be solved. And Apple's very clear that it's in beta. And I kind of think they wouldn't have shipped it like this if they hadn't, if they didn't know that they had a big improvement coming sooner rather than later. I don't think they had a choice, right? Like, yeah. It, it's, it's, a prof- it's meant to be a... You, I go back to the thing that Mike Rockwell said at the talk show in June, right? Mm-hmm. It's a tool. It's meant to be, at least, a tool or not a toy. And if you just shipped it with emoji, it's like toy category immediately. Yes. Uh, within the personas as they are even in right now, if you're doing a like, if you're trying to actually do a meeting and you're all in a Vision Pro headset, like so all of you are the personas, so you've got like three, like that Brian Tong example, all three mm-hmm. of them are in persona and you're like chatting and maybe looking over a document and like doing a quote unquote meeting. I think after a few minutes, you, your brain is good enough that your brain will probably like get accustomed to it enough to kind of forget the stupid points of it. Yeah. When you're an avatar character, I don't think that ever goes away. And so they had to have some answer to the fact that you can't just have a front-facing camera. And so this is what they've this is what they've shipped with. And it's so crucial to the system that it's launched they're going to label it beta to acknowledge that, you know, obviously it needs improvement, but they couldn't launch without it. And I don't think it's going to go away because what is the option, right? I you, I don't even know how else you could do it, even in no, thinking about it, other than some 3D rendering of your own head. Yep. But yeah, they should, probably should let you pick an emoji if you want to. At least for the time being, yeah. Yeah. Like, make the Persona the default, but if you want to, you can choose something else. And the other thing about the Personas is, like, it's not just they're rendering a 3D version of you and then sending over a video feed. Like, FaceTime knows the relative position of people and it's rendering it in three yeah. dimensions. So, like, if you're in a FaceTime call and you look at one particular person, they see you looking directly at them, and then the other people in the call see you looking away from them. So, like, there's a lot of fine-grained detail there. And obviously, all the voices appear like they're coming from where you position the windows because of the spatial surround sound. Like, You can even look at somebody and make, make like, a hand gesture that only that person sees or something. Mm. That was shown off in Brian Tong's video, too. Like, he would turn towards 
Justine and give her like a thumbs up and then Marquez couldn't see it and vice versa. Yeah, and you can see a trajectory where obviously right now they're all contained within these little like squares. Over time, the squares go away. You get like floating heads. Over time, you get full bodies, right? Um, but what we have for the first version, I also think in general, like there's times when it, like in the Brian Tong example, they have backgrounds. They have like an, a fake environment blur mm-hmm. on the background. It looks better when they're in the screen capture where they're just floating heads in a rectangle where the background's like transparent. It's like glossy effect. The the kind of weird blur looks less stupid in, in that scenario. Um, I don't know how many people you can have in a FaceTime with personas. I don't like, know. Can you, I th- yeah, can you? Because obviously it's doing 3D rendering, so it's more expensive than just showing you a video feed. So I imagine there must be some limit, but they obviously did it with three people and it, it held up. The persona also plays a role in the eyesight display rendering that we talked about earlier. Anything else to say on that? I think there's an argument to be made that Apple maybe toned down what eyesight looks like to combat the uncanny valley argument do you think that's that's potentially what's going on here Mm, i don't know about that because you know like the 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 demo the 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 main press photo they have of the woman on the homepage, right yes i haven't uh seen any of the reviews get a rendering on their eyesight that looks like that yeah that's true so not even close honestly yeah so if it looked like that i think it looked better (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah so i think toning it down is the wrong direction (laughs) so if they did that they should undo that but no i just think you know that 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 example that they've got on the apple homepage i'm sure one person that buys a vision pro can get a rendering on their eyesight that looks exactly like that with the perfect head shape and the perfect capture that was another thing they mentioned like People took their ca- their persona captures multiple times, and depending on which how they were exactly looking, their eyesight would look better or worse, depending. Um, so, look in the in the perfect situation, perfect lighting, perfect form, perfect model, perfect head shape, you can probably get an eyesight that looks decent. But it seems like the average case is not so great right now. But conceptually, I think it works. Uh, there's just a huge gap between concept and reality. Some real-time follow-up, as they say, about FaceTime. Apparently, you can only show up to nine people simultaneously on a group FaceTime call in Vision OS. Right. Okay. You can have up to 32 participants like you can on any fa- group FaceTime call, but you can only show nine at the same time. Yep. And you can pin them and unpin them to move, to adjust what nine people are showing. So. Got it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, even on the iPhone, it's limited to, like, four, and then you just get, like, yeah. those thumbnails along the bottom for, like... Because, obviously, most... I mean who's going to do a 32 person group call like <laughs> even nine people is like more than enough you know like group calls are what three or four or five or six kind of in general in and the other situation. cool thing about persona too is that it works with uh, every other video conferencing app like by default like zoom doesn't have to do anything to support personas yeah it will the personas is, yeah is what apple's like feeding back to the system as the camera input i think yeah, so if you if you don't support the API directly, you get like the virtualized video feed pretending yeah. to be the front-facing camera. If you do adopt it, you can then show the models with the 3D rendering kind of things. So there's like compatibility mode basically yeah. for most. Because even if you if you go into like um if you download like the the, the Threads app or the no, Threads isn't available, but like the Twitter <laughs> app for instance for iPad, right? And you t- and you add a photo from your camera and it's you 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 press take photo. It will simulate you taking a front-facing picture using your persona, because mm. it's just pretending like that's yeah. the camera. And then if you try and if you try if an app tries to access the back camera, it's just completely black because they don't let you access the rear camera just at all. 
other things from the reviews, we learned that you can't rearrange the apps on your Vision Pro home screen, <laughs> nor can you pin web apps to your Vision Pro home screen. So, yeah, two weird limitations there. Yep, the apps are arranged in alphabetical order, and you can't move them around. Can you move an app out of the compatible apps folder? No. Nope. You can't, okay. You can't do anything. So the the first page is all Apple apps arranged not in alphabetical order, but in which, whichever range, whichever order Greg Jobs work I think look the best, uh, which has like TV on the top left and then finally Keynote in the like the bottom right. Like I don't think many people can be using Keynote on this thing, but there you go. At least on at least on the current OS version, it's stuck there. Uh, and then on the second page, and also on the first page, you have the compatible apps folder, but you can't move any apps out of the folder. They're just stuck there. That's weird. And then on second pages, that. you also have the files and the tips app in the top left. And then from then on, every third-party app is just listed alphabetically in rows. The web apps thing, I feel like, is more notable than not being able to rearrange your home screen. I mean, it's right all stupid. Now. It's all stupid, yeah. yeah. But not being able to have like the Netflix app, whether that's a Vision OS app or the iPad app, and then also not being able to pin Netflix.com to your home screen, that's a pretty crummy experience. Like, imagine YouTube did offer their iPad app. Yeah. You have to scroll to the last page to be able to get to it every single time because it's Y. So, it's just, like, this obviously isn't <laughs> going to stay like this forever. <laughs> there may even be a 1.1 Vision OS version that's released next month that lets you rearrange your home screen icons. But it is just kind of a stupid thing that it's, it's launching out the gate with. The ability for Vision Pro to, like, be an external display for your Mac was shown off in a lot of the reviews. That looks so cool. There's obviously some limitations. You know, it's only a one 4K external screen. You can't have multiples. I didn't realize that to one, you can enable it through Control Center or you can look at your MacBook screen while wearing Vision Pro and like a little button pops up over it and just says mm, connect. That's cool. It's like virtually instant, virtually automatic. Then you can have Vision OS windows alongside your Mac external screen and use universal control to move between them. So you can be doing something on the Mac external screen, mouse over and do something in Vision OS, then move right back, which is a cool way of working around that apparent one 4K screen limitation. Yeah. As we know, it's only one screen. Maybe future versions, they'll uh, up it to two screens, or I think the holy grail would be to like just let you have the Mac windows float individually, like not contained within a, a viewport, right? I saw um, somebody working on an app mm. that can do that. I think I saw it floating around on Threads or Mastodon. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes, but I think it was on yeah, GitHub. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if the obviously the quality and the latency would be the same right. as like the Apple native solution and stuff. And it's not like such a left field idea that Apple obviously hasn't thought about it. But they, they, you know, they scoped the features out for this version. You get one screen. In the future, you'll be able to do multiple, I'm sure, but not right now. So yeah, those are Vision Pro reviews. Anything else you want to mention, Mayo? I think that's about it. Obviously, we will be covering it extensively because you are getting yours literally I am. tomorrow. Hopefully so. right about 24 hours from now. Yeah. So next week's episode will probably be a Vision Pro bonanza. And if you have questions, please send them to us so we have an idea of what people want to hear about. Because there's been so much Vision Pro content. with the, It's been like a slow drip over the past seven months. So the reviews are interesting, but I think the long-term, you know, impressions and responding directly to people's questions are is going to be very fun and making you mad that you don't have one, but I do. <laughs> Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by PureVPN. 
PureVPN is the secure and reliable lightning fast VPN service. Check them out with the link in the show notes right now. Of course, you can browse the web securely and privately. PureVPN never logs your data, so everything you do online always remains private. But here's what's really exciting, as well as apps for the iPhone, iPad, Mac, Android, Windows, and more. PureVPN also now has an app on Apple TV. This is using the VPN app support released as part of TVOS 17 to make it super easy to set up a VPN on your Apple TV itself. Now, a VPN might sound scary to use, at least in theory, but PureVPN makes it really, really simple. You know, it's even calling it setup is overstating it. You just download the app from the App Store, launch it, make an account, and then you can even start a fully featured free trial straight from the app. And with just one button press, your Apple TV is browsing over PureVPN. The PureVPN app handles all the configuration for you. And with PureVPN on Apple TV, you can be free of location blocks with your favorite streaming services. Virtually change your location with PureVPN servers in more than 78 countries to get past those restrictions. That means you can access content from around the world that the streaming services normally don't let you see. Bypass geographic restrictions on platforms like Netflix, Hulu, and more. And if you take Apple TV with you when you travel, it also means you can use PureVPN to pretend like you're still at home while you're on holiday so you can always watch your favorite shows. And PureVPN is super fast, which means you can enjoy buffer-free streaming thanks to their optimized servers. Some of the lesser VPNs out there curtail your network traffic under load, which leads to buffering and stalls when streaming video. But with PureVPN, you can have a high-speed connection for a smooth and uninterrupted entertainment experience. So start using PureVPN today. With one account, you can use it on Apple TV and up to 10 devices at a time, all with automatic setup. Check out the link in the show notes right now to save up to 83% on your PureVPN subscription. Try it free for seven days with no commitment. Thanks to PureVPN for sponsoring the show. All right, so we recorded last week on Thursday. Then right after we got done, I got onto an Apple media briefing to learn about some big changes to the app store coming mostly in the United Kingdom, but there are also some coming worldwide. So let's start first with what's coming worldwide. The biggest one here is that game streaming clients are now allowed in the app store. So previously something like Xbox cloud gaming, Apple's Apple's rules meant that Microsoft would have to release every game available in Xbox Cloud Gaming as individual apps on the App Store. But with these changes, Microsoft can theoretically now release one app called Xbox Cloud Gaming that can include all of the games available through its service. Pretty good change. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pretty. Why did they fight this? Like, And why did they make this change now? It has yeah. no... And maybe it has... I don't... I don't know the ins and outs of every single specific requirement of the DMA, but why now and why? And they worldwide? made it worldwide, right? This yeah. is one of the very few non-EU specific changes. Like this was a huge deal in like 2021, 2022, when you know COVID was still high, people were sitting at home. Xbox and Nvidia, GeForce Now were really trying to ramp up cloud gaming as a thing, and they got you know batted down and not allowed in the App Store. Because Apple was like, "You got to submit an individual app for each and <laughs> individual game," which is just the stupidest thing on earth. And here they are now, like three years later, when the pressure on cloud gaming has like subsided quite a lot. Like it's not yeah. a number one priority for people at the moment, for companies. Uh, but obviously they're, they're still working on it and they still want to offer it. And now Apple's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like with basically no like technical change that they 
you can't even say they yeah. were waiting for some framework or whatever to make it like you literally just do it and then like all you got to do is like make sure all the games still comply with our rules it's like well yeah you could have done that literally three years ago and it's kind of like it's all up to the honor system too like apple's not going to go in and check every single game available in microsoft or xbox cloud gaming to ensure yeah, which is no different to like all the streaming services yeah like netflix some, or tens of thousands of videos in there yeah exactly like there's nothing in their announcement today that's like required any thought of thought or complexity to it it's just three years ago the person in charge didn't want to do it and now they're like yeah go for it <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's great because like i wanted to use it you know they offered web versions for a while native apps are always better and now they can make them and other companies now have more of an incentive to actually do it netflix is doing a huge um growth into gaming oh, yeah. stuff and they're gonna offer cloud gaming soon and now they'll actually be able to offer it on the iPhone directly. So, thumbs up. Can't complain. I just don't know why Apple made such drama about it originally. The other change coming worldwide is that Apple has updated the App Store guidelines to kind of remove the requirement that apps offer sign-in with Apple. And this one, I do believe, is DMA-related. So and they're just choosing to make it worldwide. Out yeah, of the goodness so of their login hearts. services. Yeah, so like the idea of like open access login... Uh, is mentioned in the DMA requirements, but this one, they've chosen to do it worldwide. Because previously the guideline was that any app that used a third-party or social login like Facebook or Google or sign-in with Twitter or whatever had to also offer sign-in with Apple. And now the language in the App Store guidelines is that any app that offers one of those sign-in sign in platforms must also offer as an equivalent option another login service that meets the following privacy features, so limits data collection to username and ad email address. The login service allows users to keep their email address private, and the login service does not track users as they interact with your app. Are there any login platforms that meet those requirements other than sign in with Apple? <laughs> not that I know of. Not sure. Not that I know of, so it seems yeah. like you pretty much will, at least until maybe a sign in with Apple competitor pops up, still will have to offer sign in with Apple at least this gives an option for a competitor to exist right yeah that's true this isn't remember when signing with apple was first announced at wwdc in 2019 mm -hmm. and the guidelines were like super strict on when developers had to offer it as an option and you had to put the button first yeah you had to put originally. the button first yeah yeah then between wwdc and when signing with apple launched later that year they really softened them and here we are five years later in there softening them again i like signing with apple though i'm like this is a fine change to the guidelines i guess purely because no other option exists for now but signing with apple is super convenient what i find with signing apple all the times is like companies implement it but to like the least degree so like yeah that's you sign true with apple and then immediately it's like well we still need you to enter your name your address your information <laughs> you might have to type your email again it's like well why did i bother signing with apple <laughs> in the first place but uh yeah so whatever i don't really like the same apple requirement is obviously dma compliance and it does allow a bit more competition but that never really got my nerves or i didn't really care about that one too much uh, the game stream one i'm like fat, thrilled about Theoretically, signing with Apple is becoming less and less important too with pass keys. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of Apple's thinking, but yeah. Those are the two worldwide changes. So now everything else is EU specific. 
So what do you want to start with here, Mayo? I, I thought we'd start with the stuff that is like the least contentious, right? And that is just mostly pure wins. Okay. And all of these changes are, you know, under conformance to the Digital Markets Act. But basically, like, it's not like Apple, like, went to the EU and was like, is this allowed? Can we do this? Can we implement it in this way? Well. Like, they had conversations, but it's, like, kind of a system of, like, well, you go and do it. And then the EU commission will, like, think about it and see if it's good or not. So, basically, all we're about to say is coming into effect in March. But, you know, there's no guarantee, really, that by, like, the end of the year, it's not completely different depending on how, it, how yeah. the responses are, right? And, obviously, uh, all of Apple's competitors and the people that don't like the changes we're about to talk about are speaking out and campaigning to the EU to force more changes. But as it stands right now, Apple is allowing, in the EU only, alternative browser engines. So you can have alternative browsers that don't use a WebKit web view, i.e. don't render exactly like Safari. So you can have Chrome actually use the Chrome web engine mm -hmm. in Chrome on iPhone. Pretty good. Like They, they seem to be letting these websites, um, these, so these web browsers do whatever they want, access the same kind of performance features Like you get access to a JIT, which is like a way of compiling the code and for like the JavaScript code and make it run faster. Um, and that's a big security hole. Like that is a genuine security hole. And basically it was Apple's main justification for not allowing alternative browsers up to now. Uh, but they're basically, they've added new APIs to like sandbox it a bit and say like, okay, if you want to do it, we realize that to make a competitive browser, you do need a JIT. You know, that's why we have one. And so we're going to let you do it on iOS now, uh, only for web browsers and only in the specific form, but we're going to let you do it. You get multi-process rendering, like all the stuff that Safari gets to do, Opera, Firefox, Chrome, anyone else that is a legit browser can ostensibly do it too. So mostly thumbs up. I know that like there has been some backlash that like Firefox doesn't really like it and they wish it was... The, 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 the main yeah. Firefox complaint on this one is that it's EU only, basically. Like, right. If you're inside the EU, it's all happy days, right? Go for it. But Firefox is mad that then because now they're basically going to have to maintain two apps, right? Firefox inside the EU and Firefox not outside the EU. And they would prefer and, just to have one app that's always using their engine. And alternative browser engines are iPhone only, not on the iPad, which is another like wrinkle. Else, by yeah, the way. like everything yeah. else. But for browsers in particular, Apple's basically asking Google or Mozilla or whoever to, to not only bifurcate their offerings in the eu versus in the united states and elsewhere but also in the eu the ipad app will have to still use webkit yeah which really makes me wonder how how many companies will take advantage of this but in a world where this eventually maybe expands to other countries based on regulations in those countries it's a good change i bet i bet come the like chrome will do it if only to use it as like propaganda to get it to be done worldwide that's right? true yeah um, and also in the EU now, they're getting a ballot box <laughs> um, <laughs> voting option. Basically, when you first update to 17.4 inside the EU and you open Safari, it will pop up a choice screen of the 12 top browsers in the App Store in a random order. And you can choose to carry on using Safari or you can choose to use one of the others. And basically, it's Apple. Like, this is a, just a DMA rule, right? Like, if you have a default browser, you got to offer, you got to tell customers about options. And so here are the options. Basically, if you open Safari, it will say, do you want to use Chrome instead? And you can say yes or no and carry on. The random order thing I know is a DMA requirement, but it also yep. kind of works in Apple's favor because Safari would be towards the bottom, if not at the bottom in that list. So it works out in Apple's favor to have Safari maybe higher than at the very bottom. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't love this particular thing. Like, 
I think it's kind of stupid that you have to have a browser choice screen, but you press you press don't show again and Apple will love to never show you it again. So like it's a one-time annoyance and then you move on. Then there's alternative NFC apps to compete against Apple Pay. This is basically just Apple opening up the same technology that Apple Pay uses to individual banks and pretty much any other company that wants to make a payment platform. Those companies have to go to Apple and request a specific entitlement. This seems fine. It seems I don't like a world in which individual banks can offer their own contactless payment platforms, but it's a DMA thing. Yeah, I think this is pretty legit, to be honest. Like, Really? Why should Apple be the only, like, just because they make the iPhone, no other company can offer an Apple Pay-like service on the device? Seems pretty hostile. So, like, Apple will vet the people that submit. You have to get a special entitlement. It's not like anyone mm-hmm. can do it. Give them the, like, I feel like you have to give them the choice. Obviously, I'm going to still use Apple Pay, don't get me wrong, but right, someone else but wants yeah. to make them better, and, you know, maybe it's better. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> that like, Apple's letting them, you know, be the new default app, which means that if you, you know, like the thing where you bring your uh, phone near a terminal and it just automatically yes. detects NFC and it pops up, that if you set your third-party wallet app now as the default, that can do the same thing. If you double-click the side button on the on the lock screen, it will also open the application. So giving you decent parity to the Apple Pay experience. It's kind of silly because like, from a customer, the thing with the Apple Pay thing is like, from a customer perspective, Apple Pay is perfect, right? <laughs> like, right. you don't have to pay for it. It does everything you want, like, and it just sits there. But from a company like competition's perspective, I get it because, like, a all these banks are basically forced to pay Apple a cut of every transaction to be part of Apple Pay, and you can't really not be part of Apple Pay because people leave your bank. And also, Apple's like pushing the boat a bit because, like, in the US, you get Apple Pay later now when you open Apple Pay from the default experience that you can't change. So here's a way to foster some limited competition. I'm sure some people will try. I doubt much will catch on legitimately. And then alternative payment methods in the App Store. And this dovetails with an alternative commission structure that we'll talk about later. But this means that in the EU, developers can opt to use something like Stripe or whatever directly in their app. They don't even have to link out to their own website they can do it in app and it works just like apple's in-app purchase system does yeah you get scare sheets just like the u.s system uh but the commission is slightly more favorable because in the u.s it's the 27 percent thing right and then you so you pay apple 27 percent, and then you also have to get a payment processor separately slightly different uh, as we'll get to later i mean on this one I think you have to accept, like, Apple has to relent here. They're relenting everywhere else. Payment, they can't continue a monopoly on in that purchase forever. And they're having to relent a bit, and here they are. Uh, I think it's good overall. Mm -hmm. There are obviously downsides to it, right? It would be nice. Like, the best outcome would be if Apple offered, like, an integrated payment solution and didn't charge any commission on it, right? Yeah. That'd be well. great. But they've they've definitely elected not to do that because they love their 15 to 30% commission and everything. So now they reap what they sow in a way and alternate payment methods are going to be a thing worldwide. The EU implementation is slightly better and slightly more practical than like the US implementation because 27% is insane. Uh, so I think over time, 
the EU rules for alternate payment systems will probably percolate to a worldwide policy. I'm sure Apple won't do it voluntarily, but right, governments yeah. will see what other, what other governments have been able to get and they'll want it to. But overall, I don't think there's much to debate really on browser engines, NFC, alternate payment methods, and obviously the non-EU stuff like game streaming. That's just mostly just wins and not very contentious. It's just if you're if you're in those categories of apps that can that can benefit from it, do it. You know, the payment methods does have the asterisk of the commission structure, which we will definitely talk about in a little while. Happy Hour this week is also sponsored by Incogni. Get an exclusive sixty percent discount at incogni.com/happyhour. You might not know that there are hundreds of commercial databases and people search sites that hold your personal information and they aggregate information like your name and aliases, social security number, home address, online activity and more. And all of this is made available for purchase by businesses and could fall into the hands of criminals. In a nutshell, your personal information is being sold or published online without even knowing about it. And you have the legal right to protect your privacy and request data brokers delete the information they hold about you. But the bad news is it would take ages for you to actually do that manually. And that's only once. You have to keep repeating the process every few months as new data brokers continue collecting data and creating new records about you. Incogni is the solution. They do all the work on your behalf. You sign up, you tell them what personal data you want removing, and you let them handle it. They contact data brokers on your behalf to request your data is removed. And they deal with any objections, keep you updated, and they keep protecting your data privacy for as long as you use the service. So sign up and they maintain your data privacy. Check them out right now at incogni.com slash happy hour and get 60% off your subscription with promo code happy hour. That's spelled I-N-C-O-G-N-I dot com slash happy hour. Promo code happy hour. Thanks to Incogni for sponsoring the show. So now we have third-party app marketplaces. This is Apple's very clear app marketplaces, not app stores, and this is not sideloading, which we'll talk about in a second. The high level of how alternative app marketplaces work. A third party submits the app marketplace to Apple for review, then receives a special entitlement that gives that marketplace the ability to install apps. A user can then download an app from that app marketplace or rather, the next step, rather, is a user can then download that app marketplace from the operator's website. Then you get hit with a scare sheet that says company X, Y, and Z would like to install an app marketplace. Any downloads are managed by the developer of that app marketplace. As for how apps actually get into that third-party app marketplace, everything still goes through Apple. So developers submits their app to Apple, and if they've opted to go to a third-party marketplace, it goes through a notarization process, which Apple says checks for things like accuracy, functionality, safety, security, and privacy. This is an automated process, but Apple says there's also a baseline human review aspect of it. But less and strict a- than if you're in less the App Store directly. Yes. Yeah. So Apple's not checking for things like content. The App Store guidelines prohibit a whole bunch of specific types of content, adult content, emulators, certain types of gambling apps. Apple's not checking these apps going to other app marketplaces for that content. Then the app is passed along to the operator of the app marketplace itself, where it's listed and customers can then download it. That's a very high level explanation of how this works. And there's a ton of nuance, but on the surface, it's a good hybrid of Apple complying with the DMA and also retaining 
the control that it feels is necessary to keep things secure and private and all of that. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. Like? On a very high level. It's, it's yeah. more than I think... It's more than I think I expected Apple to do. And the balance, the balance of it retaining that control while also still offering ways for users to get apps other than the App Store, it's a good relatively good balance yeah there's less restrictions and gotchas on this than i was kind of expecting there to be you got the money situation which again we have to save for a segment on its own but uh, (laughs) momentarily but just philosophically it's like okay you can have an alternative app store you can go and get it off a website you can install it you get like a scare mode all the first time and then it's there the issues are like Apple obviously doesn't make it very easy for people to want to do this because, like, you have to delete the app from... Like, if you download a new marketplace, you can't, like, get the same app from the, the place where you previously had it on the app store. You've got yeah. to, like, fully delete it and then re-download it and then your information might not sync across. Like, there's friction there. Um, and the big thing for me from this is, like, although third-party marketplaces or, you know, alternative app stores enable sideloading by definition i.e you can install an app that isn't from the app store the apple app store it's not really sideloading in like the traditional sense right because you're still having to then go through a different third party like the beauty or the elegance or the free will nature of desktop computing is like you open your web browser on a mac and you can go to any developer's website and you can download an app right and they can distribute whatever they want for free they can put a paywall in front of it do whatever they want. No one has any control over it. You know, on the Mac, Apple has notarization, which is like, you know, basic system review, but there's no human intervention. And if you're on a Mac, if you really, really try hard enough, you can install apps that aren't notarized too. But obviously that's more complicated. On the iPhone, with these EU rules, that's just not possible, right? Like an, indive- yeah. an independent developer or a company cannot just host the app on their own website and let you install it. It's just not allowed. Like they have to go through a third party. Which is kind of insane because it also means like even if you're not suffering Apple's commission, you're going to have to make a business arrangement with a third party app store that exists and they're going to want some kind of funding. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> you, you, you you know, unless I guess there's some weird charity that pops up as like, well, you can share it for free and we'll have no business arrangement whatsoever. You're just kind of trading one person's commission for somebody else's. <laughs> so like right. it's kind of a bizarre situation. Like Epic Games... They got kicked out of the store for Fortnite, right? Now, I know uh, this is complicated because, yes, I know they broke the rules of their agreement and it's... Mm-hmm. Right, but they just let's just ignore that part, right? They got kicked out of the store, right? So day two, they want to come back to they want to come back to the iPhone and they're not allowed in the Apple App Store anymore. They can't just host Fortnite on their website and let people go and get it. Yeah. They got to make an own... They got to make an App Store or find somebody else's App Store to join in because <laughs> you also can't make an App Store just of one. So, like, Fortnite can't be the marketplace for Fortnite, right? Like it has to be an app store and have multiple apps. Like Apple kind of suggested that they would allow like categories of applications, yes. mm-hmm. stores. So like maybe there's like a an adult content store <laughs> or something <laughs> that all the adult content websites make apps and put themselves in. And that's allowed, which is kind of a bizarre thing to say, but Apple will quote unquote allow that usage. But like Fortnite can't just come along or like Epic can't come along and just make all their own games, their own provide they can't be a provider of their own games they're going to have to go through an intermediary an intermediary of some description and epic wants to make the epic game store which i guess will have their own games in it but also have like 
games that they let in. Like, there is a bit of a weird ambiguity here about what classifies right. as a marketplace and what doesn't. But, like, Spotify is another good example, right? Like, Spotify has a lot of brand value. They've got a lot of goodwill amongst their customers. They could probably take, if, if they were allowed to, right, they could get away with taking Spotify out of the Apple App Store and only listening on their website. And they could take all their customers to their own website and monetize them however they please with no restrictions. But they're just not allowed to do that. Like, what is Spotify going to do if they don't want to be at the behest of the App Store rules? Where are they going to appear? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Like, what are they meant to do about it? <laughs> they're going to have to make friends with Epic Games somehow and be in, like... The Epic Games Store is just going to have all the Spotify store or the Coalition for App Fairness is just going to have its own app store all of a sudden where everybody who hates Apple can go and appear. Probably. And then I believe the rule is if you're in an alternative app store, you have to offer like the same features if you're also in the Apple app store at the same time. So like you're kind of making Apple's rules in the app store still apply to your own app. But you don't have to distribute through the app store. When a developer True, but- submits to App Store Connect, they basically check boxes of where they want that app to go. So they can say, go everywhere, or go just to the App Store, or just go to this third-party app marketplace. But it's a single binary. But if you do want, if you do want to be offered, let's say, in the App Store and somewhere else, you're basically at the behest of the App Store rules. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also kind of weird. The thing with companies not being able to make third-party marketplaces with just their app. So Spotify, for example, like you said, Apple says that Spotify can run an alternative app marketplace as long as it's open to specifically other streaming or other music services. Oh yeah, Apple, Spotify's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> just but, but, become but, an advertiser of other music apps that compete with themselves. Who is the arbiter of what services join that app store? Spotify yeah. could make the terms such that it wouldn't make sense for well, Apple Music's the other dominant music streaming platform. <laughs> They're not going to join Spotify's marketplace. Yeah, that's... Uh, like, Tidal, you could invite Tidal, but if Tidal doesn't join, okay, you're offering it to other music streaming services, but nobody's taking you up on your offer because your terms aren't good or whatever it is, then effectively and, and Spotify, Spotify is doesn't running. Wanna, like, point blank, Spotify doesn't want to have all the uh, auditing and the arbitration and the annoyance and the management and the admin of running an app store. They just want to sell their own app, you know? <laughs> like... So that's a huge blocker, I think. It, huge blocker. Another thing I think that's interesting about this is the app marketplace itself has to be downloaded from the operator's website. Like, you can't download a marketplace from the app store. So Epic Games or Spotify or whoever has to find a way to contact people or to promote their own app store. They have to advertise. They have to take the burden of saying, hey, come check us out. Like, we're running our own store now. Don't use the app store. Come to our website, download this file, look at this scare sheet. Then you can get apps directly from us. That's a big bottleneck itself too. Yeah. So you're not just advertising people to go to your website. You're advertising them to install this other marketplace first so then you can get your app from that marketplace. Yes. Yeah. It is. One, another thing that I was surprised about, which again, is probably a DMA requirement. You can set... Users can set a default app marketplace in settings. So a user can go to the settings app and say, I want my default place that I get apps from to be the Epic Game Store, not the App Store. But there are some ramifications both for that for the user and also just from apps downloaded from third-party marketplaces in general. Like they don't work with 
things like family sharing, obviously, or at least Apple's implementation of family sharing. Some of the screen time restrictions don't work. So there are side effects across the board. And if, if let's say hypothetically, Spotify does find a way to be existing in someone else's store, if the store app is then deleted, Spotify is abandoned and then the, it, the app won't receive updates. Mm-hmm. Because you can't update from the developer directly. You have to go through the marketplace. Right. So like the App Store, the Apple App Store has a huge advantage there, right? Because obviously it's all pre-installed and nobody's going to uninstall the App Store. But any third-party store has to have huge pull and market power to have any chance of actually being viable, right? Because like let's say you did, let's say you go through the hoops to download the Epic Game Store for Fortnite, but then you also, for some reason, Spotify was like, we'll be in the Epic Game Store too, right? So we live along with it. And then... Three years go by, you grow up a little bit, you don't want to play Fortnite anymore, you delete Fortnite in the Epic Game Store, then suddenly Spotify doesn't work. So, like, Spotify's not going to be happy with that. So, there is a lot of yeah stuff there. Uh, Tim Sweeney is also mad that, like, Apple's <laughs> vetting which stores exist. And there's, like, requirements, like, you have to have, like, a million euro in credit and you have to be, like, a legitimate business and stuff, which I guess prevents, like, an open source upstart from just having fun with it, right? Like... 9to5Mac couldn't make a 9to5Mac app store and just promote all the apps that we like, for instance. Like, that's off the table. So there's some there's some business segments that just aren't allowed. Which that makes rules, sense when you factor I don't in. mind so much. Yeah, like, if you have to have a third-party app store, you want it to be, like, a legitimate business and supposedly Apple's going to vet for that. Uh, One of the funny moments of the briefing with Apple about this was somebody asked... Well, Epic Games had their App Store developer, their Apple developer account revoked because they broke the rules and they got kicked out. But you need an Apple developer account to run an alternative app marketplace. So what the question was, what is Epic Games supposed to do? Apple's answer was basically just that, well, Epic Games technically has a lot of games and they have other Apple developer, Apple developer accounts that they can use to do this. I just thought that was interesting because having that Apple developer account is another another barrier for some people. Yeah. But how? Hang on a sec. So, obviously, Epic got their account closed for breaking the terms Correct. of service, right? But they obviously have a other. I mean, anyone can make a developer account tomorrow, right? You don't need any tangible thing to make an account. But if 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 Epic made the it, Fortnite on a different developer account and submitted it to the App Store, they get rejected <laughs> again. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, even if they put in-app purchase back into it, if, if, to, if the day they resubmitted the app completely in compliance, but under a different developer account, Apple would say, that's not good. That, you know, you've been banned, mate. You're not coming back. <laughs> like, so I don't know why that doesn't apply to the third-party marketplace situation. That I just get, sounds like... Yeah. I guess because they're not checking the content of Fortnite. They're just checking that it meets those, requir- those requirements. I don't know. Right. Or Apple's just waving the, the I flag. I think they're just kind of waving that yeah. as a edge case that we're not going to worry about because there's not many people they've actually banned from the store really of high profile cases right but it is a situation where like you know emulator like you could very easily imagine emulator community making like an emulator app store where it has all sorts of different emulators in it and apple just has to say okay yeah (laughs) you know so that is a category of stuff Apple hates uh, emulators that like emulate the iPod. We've seen apps that emulate the iPod interface on the iPhone and all of Apple hates that. And mm-hmm. Apple can't Apple can't reject it through this third party app marketplace like flow. 
they have to approve it because they're not checking for content. But Apple can then Apple Legal then can can then step sue. in and sue them. Like that was yeah. something Apple made very clear: is we are not checking for content. But if you're doing illegal stuff, if you're putting pirated content in your third party app, when somebody comes and says, "Hey," we're suing you, you're stealing our content or whatever, that's on the operator of the third-party app marketplace. That's not on Apple. But well, interestingly, one thing they didn't say is like private API use will not be allowed. So like... Yeah, I don't fully understand what that means. Well, like, so um, normal apps, right, can't, can't use private API. So like on the phone, there's all these like hooks into a system that only the system uses, right? And if a third-party right. app tries to use it, they get blocked, right? They're just not allowed to. They're uh, stuck inside the sandbox, yeah. right? Um, I'm trying to think of a good... Okay, here's a really, really, really dumb example. This obviously is loads of functionality. But the thing... Do you remember a few generations ago where like the Reminders app, the Apple Reminders app, mm-hmm. when you were in Reminders, the background was transparent and it showed your wallpaper? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And it always happened in Safari and some other places. That is a private API, that Apple can use, but any third-party app store app cannot use. And if you try and use it and submit to the store, the store will reject you automatically because it can detect it in the uh, code, right? Yeah. So let's say someone wanted to do that in a third-party store, which is, quote, rule-free, but because that's private API, it still will be not allowed. So, like, things like... Alter- this also blocks stuff like um, alternative home screen launches, right? So, like, oh, yeah. systems of, of applications that iOS... Like Apple doesn't allow, but like obviously at some level, iOS is an operating system, right? So stuff can be installed. But policy-wise, they're going to block it through narrowization. So it's not quite a free-for-all. It's not quite a free-for-all. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. But you can have illicit content and adult content <laughs> to your heart's degree. But that is and where it, the DMA is a bit random. And it's less and even less of a wild west when we talk about the business side of things which we'll do yes which in just makes this second. whole calculus way more treacherous i'd say happy hour this week is sponsored by zocdoc download the app for free at zocdoc.com slash happy hour everyone loves to treat themselves whether it's buying extra legroom on a plane or going to that fancy coffee place rather than making it at home and just like you don't want to compromise on treats you don't want to settle when finding a doctor it is your health after all Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't sell. Go for the best and find the doctor right for you. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 72 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. You can even nab same-day appointments. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I needed this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. So the business terms side of things, as Apple likes to say. Apple has a new set of what they're calling alternative business terms, basically a new commission structure for apps. So if an app stays in the app store in the EU, 
They pay, they pay 17% if they're not in the small business program or 10% if they are in the small business program. And if they opt to use Apple's in-app purchase system, they pay an extra 3%, so 20% or 13% all in. Then they also, play, also pay what Apple's calling a core technology fee. And that's where the entire, that's the, the asterisk for all of this, basically. That's the big gotcha. How do you, the core technology fee applies. It's, how do you say, it's half of a euro, so 50 euro cents for each time your app is downloaded, but you get 1 million free installs before that fee kicks in. And it's per year. So it's 1 million installs per year threshold. Yeah. And if you if, if it, it's applied to the account, so like if you if a one person installed and reinstalled an, an app a load of times over, it still only counts as one. So basically, it's kind of a proxy for like your user base, right? How many iOS users right. you got? You're paying fifty cents a year. There are some asterisks there because, like, it's not a perfect proxy for active users because you could theoretically download and install an app and never open it. But you'd at that even if you never open the app, the developer's still on, on the hook for fifty cents every single year while the app's installed. Similarly, if you are an active user of an app and then you decide not to stop to stop using it, a lot of people do not delete apps on their phone. And so they'll keep on getting updates automatically. The app will still be on the system. So that will count as an install. And so then every year, the developer that maybe of the app you were paying for and using five years ago, you're still the developer's still paying for the fact that you used it today because you just forgot to uninstall it. And there's not really a good way for an app to like remind you to uninstall it. You know, like right. <laughs> if you just don't open it again, it'll just sit there and, you know, it can sit, you can have hundreds of apps sitting in your app library. They're technically installed, but like people forget about them. They forget that they're there. Um, so that is a, that's like an edge case problem. The big case problem is it's just 50 cents. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a high cost for, especially when like you're already, if you're in the app, so if you like, if you're in the app store, you're paying 17% commission if you're a big app, right? Yes. Then you've got to pay for payment processing. App was charging 3%, which is pretty good. Any third-party payment processor, probably either 3% or more, right? So we'll just say 20 and be generous. So total, you're at 20. Then you also have to pay this core te- technology fee. Right. And the core technology fee probably costs you more overall than if you were just paying 30% by being in the App Store in the first place. Right? Probably. Probably. If you're it, if you're out if you don't list your app in the app store, you don't have to pay the seventeen percent fee, and you don't have to pay three percent payment processing, but you'll pay payments to someone. So you're probably paying less, and and you've got to worry about alternate distribution, right? So someone's get, getting commission out of you somewhere because you can't just right. list the app for free. As we already spoke about you can't just put it on your website. So you're probably paying somewhere close, like maybe if you're not paying seventeen percent, you're only paying half, right? So you're paying like eight percent. Payment processing, you're up to ten percent. Then you got to pay this core technology fee. For a lot of cases, the fee, you know, it's not a percentage, but if you if you treat if you did the math and made it as a percentage, probably bumping your commission up to like twenty percent at least, right? And you got to pay it every every single 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 year forever, even if your app never makes any money. So it's a real wrench in the system a real like crick in the neck is any of this worthwhile (laughs) apple says that 99 percent developers will pay the same or less in fees 
and only 1% would pay core technology fee. And that's because, obviously, the core technology fee only comes into effect when you have a million stills or more. So let's take it in turn, right? For small developers, they're not paying core technology fee. But they don't really have an incentive to use the alternative business terms because their commission goes from 15%, right, if you're in the small business program, to 13%. 10 yeah. plus 3. So it's only a 2% difference. And if you're in this alternative business term system, the moment you're going to have a million installs, you're suddenly whacked with the core technology fees for every <laughs> for every install after that. And if you go to the alternative terms, there isn't really a way to go back. So it's like jumping off a cliff into the abyss. And you're basically, if you're a small developer, you go into this program, you're basically betting that you're never going to get big. Because as soon as you get big, you're paying more fees. Mm, that's problematic, uh, right? Yes, very. If you're a free app, you're never going to leave the app store, right? If you're making no money off your app, you're never going to go to a, pro- a system which charges you 50 cent per user. If you're a free app with advertising, you have to make quite a lot of money off ads to make up that core technology fee, let alone all the other costs of your business, right? Whereas right now, if you just stay in the app store, you can pay Apple nothing because Apple doesn't take a cut of advertising revenue, right? You're just a completely free app hosted for free. You're making all the money. If you go outside the app store, you have to take these terms, you get slapped with 50 cents per year. Which that is very clever on Apple's part because if you look yeah. at something like <laughs> Facebook or Instagram or the meat of Facebook's business is advertising that, that Apple does get a cut of. But in app store terms, Apple makes nothing on the billions and billions of dollars that Facebook's making from advertising. Yeah, and Facebook would love to be not subjected to the App Store rules. Exactly, yeah. They would love to do all sorts of stuff. But when it comes down to crunch the numbers, they're probably never going to take the leap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it almost makes the rules irrelevant. It almost makes the freedom to not be part of the rules irrelevant. Because from Facebook's perspective, they, even though they're not as worried right now about the 15%, 30%, whatever, because they don't really, that's not how they monetize their business. Facebook moving to an alternative app store would open up so much more for them in terms of data collection and communicating with customers and expanding if it wanted to do more digital goods or donations or all of that. But the core yep. technology fee makes that not as tempting as it would be otherwise. Yeah, because you got the you got the raw cost of the core technology fee compounded with all the gotchas of having to be available in a third party app marketplace and to do all the shebang and you know like there's a lot of stuff there <laughs> that adds up. And, but even just on raw money alone, I'm not sure it plays out in the spreadsheets. Okay, so now you're a small app with a subscription. Okay, so you're basically you're making money off every user because asterisk, some people might not, you know, they might just be on the free version and not use a subscription, right? But I'm talking about Which... an app that has like, that isn't freemium. It's like literally just like a subscription app, right? So Netflix is a good example, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. You open Netflix, you have to subscribe. You don't really have a choice. You can just stare at the login screen otherwise. <laughs> but you're a small app. You're not a big app, right? So you're under the million You're under the million install limit. This is good for you. You're paying less money. You get, you're keeping more money. So financially, it probably works. But Does again, it? if you start going over a million installs and your app gets right. popular, you're slapped with fees. And with subscription apps, Apple already drops the subscription to 15% after the first year, right? So, yeah, you can probably beat the commission, 
but not too much. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think you're making loads, loads, and loads more money than you were before. And you're a small developer by definition. You've got less than a million installs. You've got to convince, as a small developer, the marketing cost of getting people to go outside the app store is immense. Oh, yeah. that's So it makes it inviolable, I think, if you're small. If you're freemium, where most of your customers don't pay anything, and then you have like the whales or the 5% that do, i.e. games, you know, with like microtransactions, you've got to be a really big game to offset core technology fees. If you're a small game, I think you're just going to stay in the app store and just pay 30% commission on transactions, in-app purchase transactions. If you're a big game, maybe you could get away with it. Maybe the whales would offset the costs that you're having to pay for every customer that exists on the platform. Like Epic Games, because it's got Fortnite, its average revenue per user is more than 50 cents a year, right? It's many multiples more. So they could probably benefit financially quite big. Maybe. But then they've got to worry about third-party marketplace stuff. You've got to get customers there. They said they're going to try, right? They like Tim Sweeney's like, even despite all this garbage about the, the rules, we're going to go for it. And there's going to be Epic Games on Epic Game Store on iOS next year. Oh, well, here's the other gotcha that we didn't mention before, right? The, the core technology fee also applies to the marketplaces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. so the Epic Games to give you Fortnite is not paying 50, 50 cents a year. It's paying a dollar a year because you've got to pay 50 cents for the marketplace and 50 cents for the app. And the 50 cents for the marketplace, there's no 1 million threshold on that. Yep. So starting from the first download of the Epic Games Store, Epic's paying 50 cents for every user. Then once Fortnite crosses a million, they'll also pay another 50 cents for every download of Fortnite. Which is a lot of money. A lot of money. And forces the marketplace apps to not be charities, right? They've got to share commission oh, yeah. with any apps that are inside them to make their money back. They've got and to make again, 50 cents a year per user back. That's very clever least. thinking on Apple's part. Yeah. So every spec, every level of the spectrum, where does it... I don't know if there's any part of the spectrum where it really makes sense. Spotify, maybe, right? But Spotify has to bank on X number of subscribers who currently just pay through Spotify.com yeah. Like what what's the what's the benefit of Spotify going to their own app marketplace and then having people who are already paying elsewhere download the app and Spotify's just going to pay another 50 cents for customers they already have through the app store yeah. but who are billed directly through Spotify, you know? Yeah, I guess you, I guess if Spotify is so inflamed with the app store rules, then maybe they could pay 50 cents for the privilege, but that's why they're so mad about it because they don't think they should have to pay 50 cents for the privilege, right? Yeah. One of the concerns that a lot of people had with the DMA was that the ability to operate third-party app marketplaces would, a company like Meta would jump at that and they would, to incentivize people to use their app marketplace, they would pull their apps from Apple's platform or Apple's app store, thereby boosting the number of people who are using the Meta marketplace just to get Instagram who wouldn't otherwise care. But Apple's put that roadblock where, hey, Meta, if you do that, you're going to have to give us 50 cents for every download of your app marketplace. And Meta the apps. Is, and the apps, yes. <laughs> Again, that equation for Meta is not as tempting as it would be otherwise. Yeah. Like, Facebook can be really mad at Apple, but right now they stay in the App Store for free. Exactly. So you've got to be really, really, really mad to find the money here. And just to make it 
explicitly clear. A developer can stick with the current App Store terms as is, no changes, but they can't use any of the other things we've talked about in terms of the new App Store rules. So they can't use an alternative payment processor. They can't be available on another app marketplace. Everything stays exactly the same as it is on the App Store now. And like you said, once a developer makes that jump and says, okay, I want to opt, I've run the numbers, I want to opt in to the new EU rules, they can't go back. If it doesn't work out how they intended or they made a mistake in their calculations, they ran the numbers wrong, their business model materially changes. Apple says, nope, you made the decision, you're screwed. That Figure kind of feels like the most illegal part of all of this. Like, <laughs> It sounds illegal, but from like a logistic standpoint, it makes sense. Because if an app that's opted into the new terms is an available in a third-party app marketplace, how is that customer migration back to the App Store going to work? I don't know. I feel like they could figure something out there. I guess they figured out the migration away from the App Store, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, guess. I feel like technically and policy-wise, it would be undoable if they wanted to allow it. It would be annoying. and But the reason they don't want to allow that to happen is because if they did, people would try, right? Right, exactly, yeah. So, like... If you could, if you if you could turn back the clock and you had the freedom to do that, the load of the companies we just mentioned would give it a go. I think they would see what it's like. They would see how much money they're paying in practice. They see if they get any benefits out of it, and if they weren't, they go back. But as it stands right now, I don't think they're going to want to do it. The stick's too. The you know the crack of the whip is too much. The yeah. the carrot and the stick. The stick is really big. Fifty cents per user per year. So everyone's going to go nowhere, which Apple loves, right? And that kind of feels like this whole orchestration. You know, all the other rules, they could even make more permissive because it doesn't really matter because the core technology fee is what stops them from being used. As a concept, if you agree that Apple deserves some money for running the platform and for companies to benefit from the platform, which Which obviously many of these companies don't think is fair at all, right? But... I think you can argue that there is some value there, right? A core technology fee where it's not based on commission, but it's just based on a flat fee, doesn't sound like the worst model in the world to me. The problem is the amounts, right? Like, is 50 cents per year is a per year that might not even open the app fair? Should it be 25 cents? Should it be 10 cents? Should it be you only pay 50 cents if the person opens the app, right? So it can't just sit dormant on the phone collecting fees. There's some nuance there, and that's kind of where I think this might end up. Like, Spotify and Netflix and Epic Games are obviously going to campaign to the EU about these rules because they're not going to be happy with them, as they've said very publicly. There's going to be another negotiation between Apple and the EU Commission. But I think Apple has a lot of levers between, like, free reign, these companies can do what they want, and the current status quo, right? And so maybe some of the wiggle room is like, right now the core technology fee is paid for everybody regardless whether you open the app or not. Maybe they could be like, well, you only pay it if you open the app or we'll halve the fee. Or, you know, like I think there's some negotiation there which makes this a bit more reasonable and some people might actually want to leave. Because right now I think it's kind of like, what's the point of the DMA if Apple can just enforce a rule which means nobody wants to use it? So I kind of feel like this is an unsustainable status quo and like, these rules are like a working proposal and the EU certainly seems motivated to act and I kind of feel like they're going to act, right? (laughs) So what Apple's come up with is a very clever construction that basically stops 
almost anyone from ever doing any of this stuff. I don't really think that's going to be the equilibrium. Maybe it'll take a year, two years, five years, right? But the legal process in the EU seems like it's going to continue and they'll come back around and slap more more terms on the situation. Because what the DMA is kind of written like is like, or at least what Spotify pushed the DMA direction of, of like, well, Apple won't be able to take commission anymore from purchases inside the app. So we'll be good. But Apple's like, well, we're not taking commission on your purchases. We're just giving you a different fee instead. And maybe I'd be surprised and the EU's like, well, we've done our job now. We'll go away. I think that's unlikely, <laughs> right? Uh, well done to the Apple lawyers for coming up with this thing that is oh, in compliance yeah. in the spirit of the law. Sorry, in compliance with the rules of the law, but obviously not really the spirit of the law. And that's just the fee, right? There's all the other restrictions about like none of this is on the iPad and it's only in the EU and all the actual rules when you dig into it and the scare sheets and everything else. Like even just having the scare sheets to alternative payment systems is probably enough to stop like 90% of apps ever trying, right? <laughs> but the fee alone is like a huge barrier. And congratulations to Phil Schiller, who is an Apple fellow, but it's clearly played a big role in this because he is the only Apple executive quoted in Apple's press release. It's the ghost of Phil Schiller coming back to enlighten us again. Because the press release from Apple is clearly through gritted teeth. They do not want to do this. And something else, too, is these changes, whether or not they comply with the DMA, go into effect with iOS 17.4. If the the EU comes back and says, actually, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not allowed, Apple's going to have to change all of this, and that's going to get messy. To have yeah. these changes go into effect, then I'm envi- I'm envisioning a world where Apple over complied. Like if the DM- if the EU comes back and says, "Great job, Apple! You did everything we wanted." Do you think Apple's going to be kind of like, "Oh, maybe we should have pushed a little bit harder. We could have pulled back <laughs> a little bit." Like, "Oh, we made a mistake." Yeah, it's negotiation, right? And generally, people don't negotiate by giving their best offer the first time around. And I think stuff. Right, they've given a lot in terms of policy, I'd say, but some of that's just because that's the DMA is very prescriptive. It's like you must allow this, so they're like, "Well, we allow this because it's the law." Uh, the commission structure, the scare sheets, the design of the scare sheets, all that stuff's more up in the air and subject to ongoing debate. This is coming to effect in March. We'll see if anybody adopts it. Right, that's that's a litmus test. <laughs> Does anybody do it? <laughs> The Netherlands dating app situation, which was huge news, right, two years ago, I'm not sure there's a single Netherlands dating app that uses an alternate payment system because it costs them 27%, so it's pointless rule. Uh, The DMA isn't 27%, but it has different gotchas instead, and a lot of that comes down to the 50 cents per install per year. In addition addition to Epic Games being upset about this and Tim Sweeney being mad, Spotify is also very mad. They don't... They don't agree with what Apple's done. They don't agree with the core technology fee. Microsoft is also very mad about the, I think just about the core technology fee because you'd think they would be thrilled about the changes to cloud gaming, which they have not said anything about, but they have said that they're upset with the core technology fee. Not that they really use the app store right now, but right. They well, because remember there is reporting that Microsoft is building its own app store for the european union i think it was right yeah, yeah, yeah let me see and they yeah, so that you might be positioned to be a store 
That's what their goal. They wanted to be a game focused store in the EU for the iPhone. But yeah, they don't want to pay 50 cents per user, obviously. We'll see what happens. Like, I can't imagine that these rules and these exact commission rates and the CFT fee is going to stay like this. The EU's too motivated to do stuff. And they're pretty proactive. They get stuff done. They're way more responsive than the US government system is. But even the US government, like, if the EU gets to a place where, like, third-party companies are like, finally happy. Let's say Epic gets what they want in the EU, right? Mm-hmm. They'll go to the US and say, well, we want what the, the Apple's given the EU people. And eventually it will happen. It might take a long time, but eventually it will get there. So at some point, all this bifurcation of rules for different regions will come back in line and we'll have like one set of rules worldwide, practically speaking, I imagine. But that will take, you know, a decade to shake out. As it stands right now, my prediction is the rules come in effect in March and no companies adopt it. So that's a big anti-climax. But yeah, then we'll wait for... EU DMA 2.1, whatever the, whatever the version of the rules are called. I was just looking to find out when the first proposal of the DMA was, and it was 2020. So it's been four years since... And it was in discussion for way longer than that, yeah. Or 2019. I don't know. Wikipedia has a lot of dates. It appears Yeah, maybe- but like the EU is... Like, it might not have been called the DMA until 2019, yeah. but like the commission's been talking about regulation of big tech for 10 years. Yeah. My point was... We're years away from anything. Anything beyond what's coming into effect on March 7th actually changing. Agree. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by We Got Your Mac. We Got Your Mac is a new podcast that helps business insiders navigate the ever-changing world of using Mac in the workplace. Go to wegotyourmac.com or search We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts. Remember those iconic Apple ads of the mid-2003s? You know, I'm a Mac and I'm a PC. Well... Those ads harken back to simpler times, but the debate of Mac versus PC rages on in the enterprise, and while Windows still dominates today, some analysts predict that the Mac will be the dominant business endpoint by 2030. In each episode of We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI, explores development of Mac in the workplace, from debunking security myths to attracting talent and overcoming adoption pains. You'll discover the ups and downs of delivering Mac at scale. New episodes drop every two weeks, featuring interviews with experts at Apple, SHI, and from around the C-suite. So what are you waiting for? Make 2024 the year you put an end to the Mac versus PC question in your business. To tune in, go to wegotyourmac.com or search We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts. Search for We Got Your Mac in your podcast player of choice today. Thanks again to We Got Your Mac for sponsoring the show. So all of those things are coming in iOS 17.4. But there's also some stuff that us around the rest of the world get. So one thing in iOS 17.4 is Apple Podcasts now has real-time transcripts. So this is similar to real-time lyrics in Apple Music. These are automatically generated. There's a little button on the Now Playing screen that you can tap to launch the real-time transcripts. Really well implemented. I think you can search, you can jump around, you can tap on different parts of the text to jump to that part of the show. Pretty good stuff here, I think. Oh, yeah. This is really, really nice. The transcription is pretty high quality. Very high quality, yeah. You can, you know, if a, if a, if a publisher wants, they can provide a human transcript. Or you, if you just don't, the, the podcast system will do it automatically. It gets some, you know, the accuracy is really high. I was looking at all last week and such and... It capitalizes words that you wouldn't expect it to capitalize. Like, pretty good algorithm going on there. 
Um, Apple, I'm sure we'll call it AI or whatever, but it's it's well done. Pronunciations are pretty good. Obviously, podcasts are quite a good target for voice to text systems because people generally speak with good quality microphones, so there's less background noise and stuff. So the accuracy of conversion generally is higher. Mm-hmm. But the it's certainly like you could all for every show that I tried it with, you could almost just not listen to it and just read it, and it would you'd be able to understand what's going on. It's the accuracy is very high. And the UI is really nice. Like it's very nice. Yeah, it looks a lot. It, you know, it, um, it highlights each word as you're going along. You can scroll, and when you scroll, it makes all the fonts smaller because it knows you're scrolling, so you can skim quicker to get to the bottom. You can search in page, so you can like search for a specific word or phrase and jump to that section. If you use the scroll bar on the right, it like pops up a timecode thing as you're scrolling, which is like a custom element that I've never really seen before, but it works really nicely if you want to go to a specific point. And if you're, if there's like a musical interlude or like an intro, you know, song or something where there isn't really a transcription that it could discern, it does the Apple Music lyrics thing where it puts up those three dot animation. You know, it goes dot dot dot, oh, and that like cool. fades out. Like it's really really nicely done. Um, and sometimes it's just like I I was trying to think like day to day do I actually use it though like or is it just cool to look at? Partly it's cool to look at. I do that with the lyrics too on Apple Music, right? Songs I know the lyrics for, you just put the lyrics on, it looks cool and you can yeah. kind of like hang out. And so you can do that with a podcasting too. But sometimes, you know, someone says something and you want to just, what did they say? Like if they say name of a weird like product or a company or something and you're like listening along like ambiently, but then you're like, wait, I want to check them out. Go to the transcript, scroll up a little bit and there you go. Or if there's like a definite subject in a bigger podcast that you want to check out, and, you know, they might not have chapters or you want something really specific. Right, yep. You can just scroll, scroll, scroll or search and then jump straight to that section. So I think it has real utility and it's it's well implemented. And if the podcast does have chapters, the transcript even puts in each chapter as like a subheading, which mm. is kind of nifty. Yeah. As you scroll through, you can easily see when any chapter starts. So good stuff here. Uh, what else? Multilingual Siri for reading messages. So you can use not just the assigned language used for Siri for all other tasks, but in additional languages. What else do we got? New emoji. We have six new emoji. There's head shaking horizontally, head shaking vertically, a phoenix bird, a lime, a brown mushroom, and a broken chain. The SharePlay QR code feature that came to CarPlay as part of iOS 17 is expanding to HomePod and Apple TV and also Bluetooth speakers, I think. So that's really cool. This is the feature where you can scan a QR code and join an Apple Music like listening session and add songs to the queue, rearrange the queue. Yeah, that's really nice. And it just like the QR code just appears on like the AirPlay popover thing. Mm-hmm. So you just show someone they don't even have to have a subscription. They just scan it and it opens the app. On Android as well, I believe. They'll just open it in the Android app eventually, obviously when this ships, and they can access the queue and put songs on or rearrange it. It's like the f- a modern version of iTunes DJ, if anyone knows yeah. what that feature was back in like 2010. Uh, so that's really nice. And then there was one other thing that came in the watchOS 17.4 hmm. release, which is compatible with Vision Pro. You can turn off the double tap. Oh, yes. Your favorite feature. If you're wearing the Vision Pro... And because obviously, you know, the Vision Pro, you double, you tap, you do the tap just to select things. And obviously, if you have an Apple Watch Series 9, uh, you can double tap to activate the very useful double tap feature. But if you're using Vision Pro and Apple Watch at the same time, uh, you might not want, you might want your taps to go to the Vision Pro and not to activate your watch at the time. So they have a contextual feature. You can turn that on 
if you're wearing the Vision Pro, the Apple Watch will not recognize the gesture, which is a nice little touch. For stolen device protection, you can now choose to always require a security delay when changing your security settings using your passcode. Previously, the only option was to enact the delay when you were away from familiar locations. I think I have that right. Yeah. 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 So they, it's almost like they did it in reverse. They added the yeah, more yeah. complicated feature first, like the automatic version. And now, if you don't, even like now, you could, if you have it on always, if your phone's stolen from your doorstep, the delay will still be there. Then in 17.4, there were some under the hood sort of leaks. So there's evidence of a new iPad Pro with landscape face ID. This is what came to the 10th generation iPad. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the weird differences between the base model cheapest iPad and the most expensive iPad Pro. Dovetailing into that, Mark Gurman has said that the new iPad Pro is in production and ready for a release at the end of March. Presumably, iPadOS 17.4 and the new iPad hardware would be tied together. And we know we know 17.4 will be coming out in March because of the DMA. Oh, yeah. It adds up. And the other thing that... Um, was found in 17.4 we reported on was more work on apple adopting llm stuff for siri and like assistant or um you know automation features Mm -hmm. uh there there was you know like the funny thing about ai stuff is that a lot of it's like you know the the quote-unquote code is just you asking it a question in a certain way with a certain prompt and so we actually found in the source code a prompt that they're asking chatbots you can see in the article it says given user received sms suggest an appropriate action to take for a voice assistant to do such as message reply get directions make a phone call you know save a contact do a reminder or reply with a message or nothing and so this quite clearly is them testing an ai powered um you know automatic response system in the messages app so in the messages app it could take the the sms's that have been sent to you and interpret them and see if there's an, an obvious action that it should suggest you on the keyboard, you tap it, and then it does it. Uh, and specifically um, for the 70.4 code, it seems like Apple is like doing like a bake-off where they're testing all sorts of different providers at the same time. So they've got their own Ajax model. There's an Ajax on-device variant, which presumably runs locally. And then they've also like comparing it against ChatGPT and stuff as well. So internally, obviously, like obviously when this ships, they probably won't be using all four of them. They're evaluating seeing which one makes sense and move forward with that what they'll probably end up with is sensitive questions like ones including user received sms's they'll probably end up running on device only um, and for something like message automatic message replies you don't really need a super complicated model to decide on an action to take right um so that should work pretty well the siri questions which already go to a server back end for answering right like trivia and stuff they will then get powered presumably by the Ajax model running on the back end. Uh, so less, you know, user user privacy there, but obviously with a back end element you can get a much higher quality output out of it. So it will be a few it will be a fusion of different services going forward. Apple have an LLM running on the device and then for Siri stuff that goes to the back end, they'll also have an LLM running running there too, based off what we can see in the code here. So and that seems to be on track for iOS 18. I mean, Mark Gurman also this week said iOS 18 is going to be one of the biggest updates ever. So uh, we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. And finally, speaking of Mark Gurman, in addition to the iPad Pro coming at the end of March, he says the new M3 MacBook Air is also already in production and set for a March release. Do you think we'll get a March event? Maybe iPad Pro, iPad Air, and new MacBook Air. 
seems like quite a lot of stuff they could do an event for. A quote-unquote event. It could be similar to the October thing, where it's an event, but nobody's invited in person. Mm-hmm. Just hope it's not at 8 p.m. again. <laughs> Your midnight. Uh, yeah. British time. <laughs> I shouldn't complain. <laughs> yeah, I it mean, that be... was obviously for Halloween, right? They're not going to do that again. It w- uh, I still am surprised there was no January event for Vision Pro. Mm. Very yeah, weird. just like a video. Yeah, something. 20-minute thing or something, yeah. I guess we got the guided tour for Vision Pro, but that's the only video. It's not quite the same thing. No, right? not at all. Like, what they did um, in Vanity Fair today was, you know, have Tim Cook wearing the headset on the stage. They could have done a video recording where they, you know, Tim and Co were, like, introducing the headset again, doing some app demos, and then he's wearing it at one point to do a demonstration. It could all be pre-recorded, right? So still controlled. Uh, I was surprised they didn't do anything like that, but they didn't. Because it's like, it's like on the one hand, they're taking it subtly, but on the other hand, they're building a 100-foot Vision Pro uh, model in Apple Park, uh, in the Apple Store in New York at the moment. So, Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. It's kind of a mix that, of both. Yeah. yeah. I've been looking at this Tim Cook picture more, and in the feature, the big gigantic image at the top, the cleverness of how he's looking away from the camera to hide the cable and the battery yep. is just yep. incredible. I guess the battery's in his back pocket because it's not in his front pockets and you can't see the cable at all. The cover photo does show the cable. Just slightly, yeah. Slightly, yeah. But that's like the angle that they were good, they've got for the main shot is the same angle that they used for all the people getting the demos last week, right? Like what you got or whatever, where... They take it from the left-hand side to the the, yeah. the batteries carefully snake behind your neck, basically, out of the way. Yeah. And the eyesight is at an angle, so it's not, like, dead on, where it's a bit more conspicuous, you know? So, like, it's obviously a frame shot, but what I mean, if they did a if they did an event, they could also control the angles or whatever and get, get it nice, but... Does Vanity Fair still make actual magazines? I'd like to get this one if they do. It'd be I cool don't know. Have. I don't know. Because the, the cover specifically says digital covers, so that seems maybe not. Or maybe they have a magazine and it just doesn't have Tim Cook on the front of it. Yeah, that's true. He didn't make the cut. For the, <laughs> he didn't make the cut. Yeah. But yeah, March event would be cool. Looking forward to the iPad Pro in terms of, you know, big iPad, first big iPad up Pro, a first big iPad Pro update in a while. And Mark seemed to suggest, based, I mean, it was a bit ambiguous in his newsletter, but he seemed to suggest that the 13-inch and the 15-inch would also come out in March. So they'd launch at the same time. I guess what he was, because I misinterpreted that at first, I guess what he was saying is the 15-inch isn't in production yet. Yeah. So that could just be because it's lower volume. They don't need as volume. much time to ramp up. Yeah. Yeah, specifically Mark said launching in March, a normal-sized iPad Air revision plus the larger screened iPad Air, OLED iPad Pro models, and then the 13 and 15 inch M3 MacBook Air. So, going to be a busy we'll few look months. To that. Yeah. And in between, in between then and March, it'll be Vision Pro, Vision Pro, Vision Pro, probably. Indeed. But for now, I think that does it for this week. As I said, send in Vision Pro questions and everything you want to know, and we'll do a very Vision Pro heavy episode next week. In the meantime, we're on Apple Podcasts where you can find an ad free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. Send us questions, feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com. Or I am on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? At BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.